So we're beginning a series of messages that will, will really last all summer long on the Sermon on the Mount. This morning is a little bit different type of a presentation. It's more of a teaching, a sort of laying the groundwork for the study of the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to be engaging in over the next uh, 12 weeks. You know, the Sermon on the Mount is probably the most familiar, uh, maybe part of the New Testament. It's the most familiar, for sure, message that Jesus ever preached. It's where we get the Beatitudes from. It's where we get the phrases like salt and light, um, turn the other cheek, an eye for an eye. And it's where we get a lot of teaching from. And yet, although it is a a very um, well-known, it is also greatly misunderstood and oftentimes misinterpreted part of Scripture. It's found in the book of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. Also, there's a a form of it found in in the book of Luke in chapter 6. But we're going to be focusing on the passage in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And this message that Jesus preaches here in Matthew's chapters 5 through 7 happened early in his ministry. You know, Jesus had been gaining popularity because he had healed people and he had said things that that the religious people had never heard before. And so he was gaining in popularity but he was also gaining a lot of opposition from the religious leaders for, for things that, that he was saying and, and how he was changing the way that people believed. You know, yesterday in our conference, Michael Carr talked about how, how Jesus really turned the world upside down and how in his time here on earth, how he just completely obliterated the belief system of the Jewish people, of, of the of the. Pharisees and Sadducees, and, and here is what Jesus, I believe, was doing in Matthews 5 through 7. So there was a lot of opposition, but he was drawing big crowds of people. And on this day, he was teaching his disciples. If you look in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says, it says, now he saw the crowds, and it says he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him, and they said, and he began to teach them, saying. So we know that he was primarily talking at the beginning to his disciples, because as his disciples came to him, he had just called the 12 disciples. And so they had come to him, and, and they said, he began to teach them, saying. Now, one thing you have to understand, it says he went up on a mountainside. You have to understand that, that where he was at wasn't on a mountainside. If you go to the north part of Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee, it's just rolled, these beautiful, plush, rolling hills. And that's where Jesus was. He, he was up on a, on a hillside that looked down into the, the Sea of Galilee. And, and when he spoke from where he was at, because of, because of the way that the land that he had created was he could speak in a voice like I'm speaking and 5,000 people could hear him speak. 
So he had a huge gathering in this beautiful uh, scene telling them, this is now how you ought to live. And another thing that we have to look at, it says that, that he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. Now, that, that has significance as well. You see, when a rabbi spoke, you know, if, if I were a rabbi and I were just walking around talking to you, that wouldn't mean a whole lot. That's just, I'm just telling you my thoughts and opinions. But when a rabbi would, when a rabbi would sit down, and begin to speak, then people knew that, that they better pay attention because this was official. This was speaking with authority. You know, when, when you hear a Catholic talking about the priest, uh, the, the, uh, the Pope speaking ex cathedra, that means the Pope sit, speaking while he sits. And when he speaks while he sits, he is speaking with authority. And so here, Jesus is speaking with authority as a rabbi. And he is, he is when he was saying this, he wasn't just saying some random things that he thought, but this was an official manifesto from the king. This was a, a new way of doing life as a, as a follower. And in his audience was a very diverse group of people. You know, he had his, the, 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 the 12 disciples, but then it says, if you look at the end of, of the book of, Ma- of Matthew chapter 7, it says, and when Jesus was finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. So obviously, you know, Jesus had attracted a large crowd of people when he was doing this teaching. It wasn't just his 12 apostles. It was crowds of people. And, and amongst this crowd of people, you know, if, if I were here for today, there were Mennonites and Baptists and Presbyterians and Catholics. I mean, there were people with all kinds of beliefs. Actually, they, were, they weren't Mennonites and Baptists and Presbyterians. They were the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Essenes and the Zealots were the four primary groups of people that had gathered to listen to him speak. You know, the Pharisees, they believed that, that their, their religion consisted of, of laws and regulations and religious tradition. That's what drove their belief system. They, they did it out of obligation and out of, out of ritual. And the Sadducees, they were the religious liberals. You know, they were the ones that, that they didn't believe in supernatural things. You know, they, they modified scripture to make it say what they wanted it to say. And they were always thinking out with the old and in with the new. So he was speaking to them. He was speaking to the Essenes who, who the Essenes believed that religion meant to be separate from the rest of society. And so they went down to Qumran and, and they made their place out in the desert so they could be separate from the rest of the world so the world wouldn't defile their way of thinking or their, their belief system. And then there were the zealots who, who uh, believed that right religion centered on radical political activism. 
They were trying to overthrow the government. Now, you know, this was 2,000 years ago, but, but you know, we've got these same groups of people uh, around today, people that, that believe that religion is all about ritual and doing it a certain way. And, and we have people that are liberals who, who believe that let's just create a new way of believing. If we don't agree with what's there, let's rewrite it and believe a different way. We've got those people that, that separate themselves from the rest of the world so that they can't be defiled. Jesus was none of these things. What Jesus was telling the people that day in this sermon that he was preaching was that true religion in God's kingdom is not a question of ritual or philosophy or location or military mind. It's none of those things. But it's about a right attitude toward God and other people. You see, what he was telling the Pharisees is, look, religion is not a matter of external observations, of observing religion a certain way. He was telling the Sadducees, religion is not a matter of philosophy or, 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 or inventing a different way of believing to accommodate the new day. To the Essenes, he was saying, your religion is not a matter of where you're at, of, of separating yourselves from the rest of the world. He said, you know, it's not a matter of social activism, of, of changing our government. You see, in dealing with the Sermon on the Mount, we're dealing with, with, with a need for, for new life rather than a legalistic system of morality. It affects our character. And as we read the Sermon on the Mount, you have to understand that Jesus is saying here that, that my kingdom is on the inside. I'm not so much worried about what's on the outside or, or, or how you look or, or the appearance of things. It's about what's in the heart. That's what it's about. It's inside, not outside. And these groups of people, they were all focused on what's on the outside. And so often we're the same way. It's about what's on the outside. It's about how I look on Sunday morning when I come to church. Or how I look to my co-workers or, or the people I go to school with. Where Jesus is saying, no, it's not about the outside. It's about what's on the inside. He was changing the climate of that day. Now, when the inside is changed, then what's on the outside will look different. Because if our inner life doesn't make our outer life better, then our inner life is either deficient or non-existent. You know, there was once this little girl... And she looked at her mom one day and she said, if God is bigger than us and he lives in us, wouldn't he show through? Think about that. If God is bigger than us and he lives in us, shouldn't, shouldn't he show up? Shouldn't you be able to see him oozing out of you if he's bigger than you? You see, if, if it's right on the inside... It will. He will ooze out. And I think that in the Sermon on the Mount, that's what we have to understand. If the inside is changed, then the outside is going to look different. 
In James 2, verse 20, it says that, You foolish man, do you want evidence of faith without deeds? It's the, he says, faith without deeds is what? Useless. If the inside doesn't, if, if, if you're not changed by what's happening on the inside, there's nothing happening on the inside. And failure to interpret this Sermon on the Mount can be very dangerous. And we see a lot of misinterpreting when it comes to this Sermon on the Mount. And over the years, there have been, some, there have been many different ways that, that people have looked at, the, at this sermon. You know, there are people that look at the Sermon on the Mount and it gives them reason or a platform to preach a social gospel. Or that if we want to usher in the kingdom of heaven, all we have to do is, 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 is practice the Sermon on the Mount. You know, there was, you know, our president's spiritual advisor told, said one time, he said, the Sermon on the Mount is the new gospel, that this is all we need to live a Christian life is, is the Sermon on the Mount. Well, that's not true. The Sermon on the Mount, you have to take that with the rest of Scripture because, you see, my heart has to be changed first before I can live out this Sermon on the Mount. And for me to preach, to preach a Sermon on the Mount to a person that doesn't have Christ living in them is really sort of useless because they're not going to get it. It's not for a non-believer. The Sermon on the Mount is for believers, so there are those that say that use this to, to, for the platform of, of a social gospel and say, this is, how, this, is, this is how we're going to change our society. This is how we're going to usher in the kingdom of God so that Jesus can come back. There are those that would look at it and say, this is just a carryover of the Old Testament. Jesus is just clarifying what the Old Testament said. There are those that say, well, the standard in, in the Sermon on the Mount is just way too high. And we can't be expected to live out this Sermon on the Mount. It's just, it's just too high. It's more of a, uh, they say this is like a, like a hyperbole uh, type of literature. In other words, Jesus is exaggerating what he's saying in order to shock us. And then there are those that say this is only for, for the kingdom age. This is for the millennium. This is how people will live when Jesus comes back to rule and to reign for the thousand years. But in all of these, there are there's some truth. But, but, but if, you, if you just take one of these and, and hang your hat on that, you're going to get it wrong. And what I'm hoping is that over the next 12 weeks, we can help, we can study together and see how to interpret it correctly and how to apply it to our lives. Because that's what we have to do with Scripture. Read it, interpret it, and apply it to our lives. So why? Why should we study the Sermon on the Mount? What's the reason? There are, you know, and I have four things that, that I think, reasons why I think we need to study the Sermon on the Mount. The first thing is the Sermon on the Mount shows us that we absolute, our absolute necessity for the new birth. Because see, when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I understand that, that I can't live that on my own. On my own power, I cannot love my enemies. You know, on my own power, I can't do the things that are in the Sermon on the Mount. It's only when, when I accept Jesus Christ and I have the Holy Spirit living within me, he empowers me to live out what Jesus is saying. 
I believe the Sermon on the Mount also clearly points us to Jesus Christ. You know, it's perhaps the single greatest insight into the mind of Jesus. If you want to know what Jesus thinks, then read the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to know how he wants us to live, then, then read and study the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to know what his heartbeat is, read the Sermon on the Mount. We get to know Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount. And we get to know what he believes and what his heartbeat is and what he wants for us. How he wants us to live. I believe the Sermon on the Mount shows us the only way to true happiness. Because remember, he says, you know, he begins with with the Beatitudes. Blessed are those. Blessed means to be happy, to be joy, joyful. And if you want to really be filled with the Spirit, you know, I see too many people going around looking for the next great uh, filling and the next great experience, the next best church that has the best worship. And they're running after experience. And they keep chasing after this elusive dream of true and real spirituality. Well, if you want to know happiness and blessedness and joy and gladness, study the Sermon on the Mount and begin to put it into practice. Because Jesus says, that's how you will be filled. And I believe the Sermon on the Mount is our best means of evangelism. I mean, think about this with me. If we would, as a church, as a body of believers, as, as Christ followers, would live the way that Christ taught us to live, if we would be the salt of the earth, and we would cause people to become thirsty for God's word. If we would be the light of the world and not hide our light under a bushel, but shine brightly for Christ. If we would love each other, if we would love each other and the world would see that, how would that change our world? If we would meet the needs of hurting people, if we would fast and pray and seek God and not store up treasures here on earth, but store up treasures in heaven, our world would be blown away by the way we live our lives. They would want what we've got. You know, John Stott said of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, the Sermon on the Mount is a description of what citizens of the kingdom are to be and do. It describes what human life and human community look like when they come under the gracious rule of God. It describes what citizens of the kingdom are to be and do. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're a citizen of the kingdom. And Stott says the Sermon on the Mount shows us how we are to live how we are to be, and what we are to do. And I hope that over the next 12 weeks, because you know, you know what I would love for us all to do? 
I don't want you to read anything else for the next 12 weeks except for the Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters. And I want us to read it like a cow chews its cud. You know what that's like? You know, a cow will, will eat some hay or grass or whatever and chew it up and swallow it. And after it's been there for a while, I know this may sound gross, but, but and then it brings it up and chews it up some more and swallows it again. And I'm not sure how often it does it. Who in here, is, Stan, how often does a, does a cow, you don't know. You don't really care, do you? But, you know, here's the problem. Too often, we want somebody else to chew the grass for us. And we, we want to we wanna just take their cud and eat it. Ugh. What I want us to do is I want us to take... There's a statement made yesterday by one of the presenters. He said, content is the enemy of understanding. Let me explain that to you. Content is the enemy of understanding. When we do our devotions, too often what we do is we're all about getting her done. We, I'll, I'll, let me read one chapter. I've got my devotions done. It, it, it's, it's strictly a practice that we, okay, I've done this. It's a chore. I've done this. Now I'm on to the next thing. And we never take time to stop, to think to process what a certain word or a certain phrase means. And therefore, we miss the whole purpose of why this was written. If we would, over the next 12 weeks, you spend all that time in these three chapters, I believe it can be transforming for your life. See, it's not about how much you get read. It's what you learn when you read. And are you being changed by what you're reading? Because if we read the Sermon on the Mount and, and we pray and, and, and we ask God to transform us, then I believe we can be changed. So for the next 12 weeks, that's what I want you to do. I want you, to, I want you to, to focus on these three chapters, and I'd like for you to memorize the Beatitudes. 12 verses that I would like for you to memorize. And we'll, Next week, we're going to talk about the Beatitudes. We're going to tackle all, all of them. Whether, you know, some people say there's six, some people say there's eight. But we're going to tackle all of them and understand the first four are talking about the internal. And then the last four, how we live out when we internal, when we are poor in spirit and when we mourn. And when we're meek and when we hunger and thirst after righteousness. Then that will make us merciful. That will, 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 will make us um, peacemakers. So we're going to talk about that. I just want to quick go over what, what, what the Sermon on the Mount looks like as far as, as, as the layout of it. And, and, you know, we'll be talking about this in ABFs and, and this is what we're preaching about. But, but the next week we're going to be talking about our character. See, the Beatitudes are all about our character. And then that influences, the Beatitudes influence that that changes our influence. See, we become, when, when, when we understand and become what the Beatitudes teach us, we're able to influence our world because we become salt and light. 
to the world around us, and it changes our righteousness because our righteousness will exceed superficial righteousness and established religious community. But it will impact the way we live. It will impact our ethics or moral belief or how we, ethics are how we ought to live. Our righteousness impacts our devotion, giving and prayer and fasting. It affects our ambition. Because as Christ followers, as citizens of the kingdom, we are to be different. It affects our relationships. Because you see, when, when this becomes us, when, when we live the Sermon on the Mount, it affects our relationships. It makes healthy relationships with our spiritual families, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and with our Heavenly Father. And even with those who are our opponents. So that's where we're going the next 12 weeks. And I want you to study and and make sure that you're just not covering, but you're understanding. You know, find yourself a good commentary. Get yourself a good study Bible. Um, You know, there's some really good things online but there are also some very dangerous things online. But do the study. Do the hard work of understanding this incredible message that Jesus Christ preached to us, to his disciples. You know, when you get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, after Jesus has preached this wonderful message, This is how I want to end this morning. This is my challenge to you. Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house upon a rock. The rains came and the streams rose. And boy, last week we understood what it means when the streams rise. We got stuck in Virginia. Ask me later. Has nothing to do with this passage. Let me start over. This is how I want, this is what I want you to wrestle with. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. The rains came and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on a rock. I believe that's what this Sermon on the Mount does. It helps us to build a foundation that is built upon a rock. And I'm telling you, if, if your foundation isn't built on Jesus Christ, on that rock, on that solid rock, then at some point in your life, your house, as it goes on to say, will come. Your life will come crashing down. Now, that doesn't mean we'll never go through storms. It just says when the storms come, Jesus said, If you live your life this way, storms aren't going to touch you. Storms aren't going to knock you down because I'm there. 
You're standing on me, the rock. Got to build your foundation on Jesus Christ. And I hope that over the next 12 weeks, you know, it's not going to be my preaching that transforms you. It's going to be your time with, with God in his word, learning what he has for you. That's what transforms us. That's what will change you. That's what will bring joy and happiness into your life. So Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, over the next 12 weeks, memorizing the Beatitudes. I believe if you do that, I believe there will be change in your life. I know there will be. If you apply yourself, stand with me as we pray. Father, this morning I thank you and I praise you for, for your word. I thank you for the words of Jesus and, and this great sermon that was preached that gives us just a roadmap on, on how to live our lives. Lord, I pray for those of us that are, that are citizens of the kingdom, that, that we would take seriously this thing of, of living our lives for you and take seriously these words of Jesus in this message. Lord, I pray for those that are not yet in the kingdom, who don't know the Savior. I pray, Father, that you would draw them. Lord, I pray that over the next 12 weeks, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds through your word. Lord, we would learn how to be merciful. We would learn how to be peacemakers. We would learn to endure and, and find joy even in persecution. But Lord, help us just to stand firm. Help us to have a hunger for your word. Lord, as we, as we depart from here, I pray that you would empower us and strengthen us to live as citizens of the kingdom, to be salt and light to the world around us. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.